Over the, the past few weeks, uh, we have been in a, just a really great study, I think, uh, looking at some incredible defining moments of faith of people who are listed in the, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 in, in what we call God's hall of faith. And uh, if, if, if all we had were these little brief descriptions of these powerful faith moments, then you would think that maybe all of these individuals were just these, you know, people who live blameless, powerful lives, you know, perfect lives. They were, they, they were all heroes of the faith, but, but without a backstory on each of them, which is found in the Old Testament, we would probably miss one of the biggest takeaways of Hebrews chapter 11. And here's what I mean. All of these people that we've talked about, all the people who are listed here, all the people we're going to talk about, they, were all, they all had these defining moments of faith that, that, that caught God's attention and, and it's celebrated in Hebrews chapter 11. But not one of these people were perfect. In fact, nearly every one of them were, were a little bit jacked up. They were all a little messy. Not one of them came from a perfect family or had a squeaky clean reputation. Um, they all had a skeleton or two in the old closet, okay? And if you think about, think about it for a moment, we, talked, we started a series off talking about Abel, and Abel seemed like a perfect guy, but imagine going, having to go to school and go, yeah, by the way, my parents are... Adam and Eve, they committed the first sin, so now everybody's jacked up because of my mom and dad. Or um, we talked about Noah, and I mean, think about what Noah did after the floodwaters had disappeared and his boat landed on dry land. He got drunk, right? Um, and then Abraham, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. Abraham was a deceiver, and uh, he had a baby with one of his wife's servants. His wife, Sarah, who's listed here as well, um, she got impatient waiting on God to give her a child. So she made a strong suggestion, thinking maybe that God needed some help, needed her help. Um, She made a suggestion that Abraham have a child with her Egyptian servant, Hagar. And so now we have uh, a little Ishmael. Um, But she also laughed at God when when God told Abraham that she was going to have a baby at 90 and, um, and then when she denied it, God called her out on it because, you know, that she, she was a liar. And then we, last week, Paul did a great job talking about Joseph. But, but you need to know that Jacob, who was Joseph's dad, he tricked his father Isaac and cheated his older brother Esau out of his birthright. And then Joseph, who, um, knowing that he was his dad's favorite and had a really fancy coat to prove it, he became a little prideful and arrogant, which uh, caused him to be thrown into a pit. Um, And then Gideon, who we're going to talk about next week, struggled with insecurity and fear. And Samson had a little problem with women. Um, David, a murderer and an adulterer. And think about this. These are not only the heroes of, of the Jewish religion. These are heroes of the Christian faith. And we wouldn't know anything about their little messy backstory if it weren't for the Old Testament filling in the gaps for us. But there is one person on this list to me that stands out from the rest. She stands out because we really don't need to turn to the Old Testament to find the skeleton in her closet because the writer of Hebrews actually uses it as part of her name. He calls her Rahab the prostitute. And we see her story or her her little moment of faith in verse 31. Let's look at it. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, imagine reading this story for the very first time with very little Bible knowledge or no point of reference back to the Old Testament. Um, If if I were that person, I would be wondering why she's included in this list because 
um, why, why, and why the writer of Hebrews decides to list her sin in her name when he doesn't do it for anyone else. It's all, it almost appears like, like he's shaming her because no one else in Hebrews 11 gets that kind of attention. So why the woman? Why Rahab? Well, Rahab's story is, is not only one of faith, but it stands out because it's a beautiful story of God's grace. It is a powerful moment in the Bible where you see God's grace intersecting with a very unlikely person's faith. It, it is a moment where grace truly met, meets faith. And, and this story just, it makes a powerful statement to every one of us in this room here today. It's a powerful statement that out of his grace, God uses messy, imperfect, broken people who live by faith to accomplish his plans and purposes on this earth. I mean, I, I, want, I want you to do something for just a moment. I want you to look around. Look around the room at everyone around you. Look at just everyone. I mean, this is a room full of messy, imperfect, dysfunctional, broken people. Amen? All right. I mean, the first service actually clapped over that. I'm not sure what it says about those crowd, that crowd compared to you guys. But, but just so you don't feel like I'm shaming you, I will confess to you that I am a messy, broken, imperfect man. And, as older, and, and the older I get, the, the messier and the more jacked up I realize that I actually am. And, and if you don't see that maybe in yourself, then, then just take a good look at your kids because they're like, looking, they're like looking at a mirror at yourself sometimes, okay? But here's the truth. Most of us do know that about ourselves. We, we know that we're messy. We know that we're broken. We, we know that we're imperfect. Most of us are, are very aware of our dysfunction because it causes us at times to feel very hopeless and very helpless. It causes us to deal with, with shame, which leads us to feel like we're not enough or maybe we're not doing enough, which then leads us to, you know, to things like depression and anxiety and stress and fear and on and on. And what the world so desperately needs right now and what so many of you in this room need here today and I need every single day is grace. We need a rescue. What, what, what you need is what, what Rahab discovered somewhere in her story that allowed her to be listed in this amazing list of heroes of the faith. What, what you need today is what I keep leaning into as I continue to uncover just layer after layer of my own uh, imperfections and my own dysfunctions as a person. We, we, we all need grace here today. Now, before we dig into Rahab's story, because there is a story here, I don't want to assume that everyone who is listening in this room and not only uh, in this room but online really understands the word grace. So what is grace? Well, grace is a gift that is totally undeserved, unmerited, and unearned. Chuck Swindoll says grace is to extend favor or kindness to one who doesn't deserve it and can never earn it. Andy Stanley says grace can't be earned. Grace can only be experienced by those who acknowledge they are undeserving. Now, that's one of the things that, that makes this list of heroes of the faith so remarkable to me. They are listed here because of a defining moment of faith, but they all, every one of them, are recipients of something that they did not deserve or they could have never earned, which is grace. This is, the, whole, the whole chapter is, is a picture of grace meeting up with faith. And it's because of, of, of God's grace and and. That, that he's able to use all of these messy, jacked up, dysfunctional people who live by faith to accomplish his plan and purposes here on this earth. 
I love this. This is a powerful quote from Andy Stanley. He says, grace acknowledges the full implication of sin and yet does not condemn. And I'm so thankful for that. Now, here's what we need to know. God's grace comes in various forms. Three things in particular. One is just God's saving grace. And it's not just saving you from a a destination. It's saving you from yourself. It's saving you from from being dead in sin. It's saving you from, from just living a hopeless, helpless life. Ephesians 1, 7 says, he is so rich in kindness and, and grace that he has purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and, and he has forgiven our sins. We need, we need, every one of us, we need saving grace to remove the guilt of sin and then this condemnation that just hovers over our lives. But grace goes well beyond the grace of, of salvation. We're, we're also in need of God's sustaining grace, which, which helps us through the tough seasons of life. It's a, it's a grace that I see every single time I do a funeral in this church. Um, when we do funerals here, the, the family will come in. They'll normally sit right here in this section right here. And I will just see this, this it's like this flood of grace just wash over this family that, that they, they just, they didn't have before that person, they, they lost that loved one. But, but it's the grace that gets them through saying goodbye to someone they love. I mean, it's the same grace that, that helps a mom or a dad to hang in there and keep trusting God's promises when a, a son or a daughter or a grandson or, or a granddaughter walks away from God. There's also strengthening grace. And this is the grace that helps to, to restore us. It helps to empower us to just live. It's a grace that, that, that gives us the strength to say no to temptation. It's the grace that, that, that gets us up in the morning when we're struggling with fear or, or depression or anxiety or stress. And I don't know about you, but I need all three of these gifts of grace. Every one of us, we, we need, every one of us need this kind of grace in our lives. And even though it's totally undeserved, God offers it to every single one of us at all times, all times. Well, let's jump into Rahab's story. And if you want to do that, you can go to the book of Joshua, which is the sixth book in on the Old Testament. And um, when we get into the book of Joshua, and it's one of my favorite books in the Bible, the people of Israel, they're experiencing a transition in leadership. If you remember, Moses had, had, had led the Israelites out of Egypt. They had been there for over 400 years. And then he leads them for 40 years as they wander in the desert. That's a whole nother story there. But if you remember from the, from the story of Abraham a few weeks ago, um, God promised the Israelites that they would have their own land. But in order to get to that land, they had to take a few hundred, uh, excuse me, a few million people across a very large raging river. Um, then they were going to have to defeat, uh, fight and defeat uh, a couple of very strong barbaric armies. I mean, they, they were, they were going to need several miracles here. And so Joshua chapter one starts off with God reassuring the Israelites of the promise that he had made to them for land. And then he challenges Joshua to to challenge the people. And we see Joshua standing in front of the people of Israel and he's challenging them to take the land that's been promised to them. But in the middle of this chapter, God spends a very personal private moment with Joshua where he is helping Joshua to overcome his own fears. And he tells them, he says, Joshua, listen, he says, I'm not going to fail you. I am not going to abandon you. And he tells him, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then on three different occasions, he says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. That's strengthening grace right there, by the way. And we get into Joshua chapter two. And Joshua is preparing the army of Israel to take the city of Jericho. 
But before he does that, before he sends the armies in as part of a, the, the you know, intel prep work that, that you know, generals do, uh, he sends out two spies to bring back some, some intelligence on Jericho. They, they need to know what they're up against. And so in verse one, it says this, and, and they went out and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and they lodged there. So two spies leave camp. They go to the house of Rahab who welcomes them in. She hides them on her rooftop under bundles of flax. Flax is used to make clothing and linen. And you say, well, who are they hiding from? Well, they're hiding from the king of Jericho. Someone has seen these men come into Jericho and has ratted them out to the king. Look at verse three. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all of the land. Now, obviously, this king has a pretty amazing surveillance system because he knows who these spies are. He knows exactly when they arrive and he knows why they're there. But he also knows that they're hiding somewhere in Rahab's house. Now, this is where Rahab's big defining moment of faith comes in. This is where God recognizes her and commends her faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But this is also a moment that to me raises some questions, okay? Why, why would a prostitute from a godless immoral city like Jericho offer to hide spies from a nation that she knows is going to come in and conquer her nation? Why would she do that? Why would she hide them on her rooftop? Why would this woman risk her life for these two strangers? Because that's exactly what she's doing. And, and what would allow her to have this kind of faith? Well, the only thing that can explain her behavior in this moment is grace. That's it. Somehow, by God's grace, Rahab has received salvation through faith in God. And now, now she's a changed woman. She, she, when we get to this point in the story, she is no longer a prostitute. She is a believer in the God of Israel. You say, how do you know that? Well, I'm getting to that, okay? But God's plan was to get his people into the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And, and part of his plan was to use a former prostitute to, a prostitute to carry out the mission. Out of his grace, God uses messy, imperfect, imperfect, uh, imperfect, broken people who live by faith to accomplish his plans and purposes here on this earth. And so the, king's, the king sends orders to Rahab to, to, to bring out the men who, who she's hiding in her house. Check out her response in verse four. She, she says, true, the men came to me, but, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. And I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. In other words, if you hurry, if you hurry, get out of my house, you'll actually catch them. Now, I need to stop and point out something to you uh, for just a moment here, okay? Rahab was a big fat liar, okay? Um, she is lying to the king of Jericho. And we all know, right? We all know lying is a sin. It's part of the Big Ten, right? Don't, you shall not lie, and God actually has a lot to say in the Bible about lying. He says in Proverbs 6 that he detests lying. So, so what's going on here? Is God turning his head towards this sin here? Is he honoring a lie? I want to give you a couple thoughts on this. First, this is a military situation where a woman was protecting the lives of God's people. These were messengers that God's man Joshua sent to get info on a people group that God told Joshua 
to conquer. This was a very unique military type situation where a lie was protecting lives. You may well say, well, I would never lie like that. If I was in a situation, it just doesn't make it right. Well, think for a moment about the Germans back in World War II, okay? Rounding up Jewish people from all over Europe and killing millions of them. And, and you, what did you have? You had European families hiding Jewish families in their house and, and actually lying about the fact they were doing it to protect them. And listen, if you've never seen Schindler's List, it's, it's an amazing movie about that. But here's the other thing that, that we need to consider, okay, about, about Rahab. She had grown up in a city where the normal lifestyle was, was lying, it was cheating, it was all kinds of immorality. I mean, she had for, for however many years, she had been a prostitute by profession. She had probably worshiped all the false gods of, of, of the Canaanite people. Her, her knowledge of, of the one true God had just recently come into focus. I doubt very sincerely that she had the big 10, the 10 commandments hanging in her house. So she tells the king's messengers, that she saw the men, but she has no idea where the king or the spies came from, and she has no idea where they went. She, she is lying, okay? Well, after the king's messengers leave her house and before the spies go to sleep, Rahab, she sneaks up onto the rooftop and she has a conversation with these two Jewish spies. Now, I want you to listen to what she tells them in verse nine. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Listen to what she says in verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And then, listen, and then she says these words. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. You say, what is going on here? Rahab is sharing her story of faith with these two men. When the powerful stories of how God split the Red Sea in half and how he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and then he allowed them to conquer these two foreign nations. When, when the word of these stories reached the city of Jericho, Rahab's, Rahab says that people began to turn away from God in fear. Their hearts melted with fear, but, but she says, not me, not me. She said, when God reached out to me, when God reached out to me, when I heard these stories and, I, and, and, and God reached out to me and offered me grace, she said, I received it by faith into my life. And at this very moment, her life was changed. Listen, that's the only way you can explain a woman with a background like this, displaying a faith that is willing to risk her life and the lives of her family members for two men she had never met before. She knew somehow that these men had been sent by God. This is grace meeting faith. Now, at this point in the story, Rahab, she has a decision to make, right? She knows that Jericho is about to be destroyed. She knows that the Israelites are about to invade her, her country, her nation, and, and, and she knows that most everybody she has grown up with, everybody around her, that they're, they're going to be killed in, in, in the town. And at this point, she could have asked the spies to take her with them as, as they left Jericho in the morning, but that's not what she does. Instead, what she does is she asks the men to make a promise to her 
that when the Israelites come back to destroy Jericho, that they will not only spare her life, but they'll spare the lives of her family members. She had a lot of family living in Jericho. Now I want to tell you what happens in the story. The spies tell her, they said, okay, here's the deal. You need to do something to let us know, okay, that you're going to uh, allow us to get out of town without ratting us out. And she says, I will not. I will not tell anyone that you've, that you've come. She says, but I'm asking you in, in return that you spare my life. You spare the lives of my family members. And they said, okay, here's what we'll do. When we come back to destroy this city, what I want you to do is I want you to hang a rope outside of your window. Rahab's house was built into the wall of Jericho. We want you to hang this scarlet rope outside of the window. And we're going to climb down on it, okay? But when we come back to destroy the city, when we see that rope, we'll know. We'll know that that's you, that's your house, and we will not touch you or your family members. Look at verse 21. It says, and she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now, I don't want to pass over this moment because honestly, there's something very significant about this scarlet cord, this scarlet rope, okay? Here's what I want you to know about it. First of all, the scarlet rope points to a change of profession. Think about this. Back in the Old Testament, um, if you wanted to get dye, D-Y-E, if you wanted to get dye, okay, to, to dye clothing, you would boil a rock. The dye would come out of a rock. And since liquid dye was, was extremely hard to, to transport or store, what they would do is they would, they would take a piece of rope, roping, a large rope, and they would, they would, they would soak it into the dye, all right? They would absorb the dye. They'd put it in boiling water. Well, in order to dye clothing, they would boil water. They would put the clothing in the water. They would drop a very small piece of the rope into the water, and the color then would transfer, transfer from the rope to the piece of clothing. Now, listen, in order for Rahab... To help these spies over that wall, she would have had to have had a rope at least 30 feet long. And you think that, that's, a, that, that's a lot of scarlet rope for the normal person here, okay? But Rahab, she also had on her rooftop, remember, she had a stalk of flax, again, which is used to do what? To make clothing out of. What does that tell you about Rahab? She's no longer a prostitute. She's now in the clothing business, all right? Here's a woman who spent her life taking her clothes off and now she's making clothes for people to put on, okay? Just a little side note there. Um, but also, also, this scarlet rope points to a changed life. This, this scarlet rope was a symbol of God's saving grace. Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This scarlet rope was a symbol of Rahab's past life, now being covered by the blood of Christ, which had now made her clean and whole. I mean, what an incredible thing. That rope represented so much, much more than just two spies climbing down a wall. It took an incredible amount of faith in God for Rahab to hang that rope from her window. I mean, think about this. Any of her friends or relatives, they could have asked her about the rope and then reported her to the king. And anybody actually coming into the city, they they could have seen that rope hanging out of her window and just asked Rahab, hey, explain what's going on with the, the scarlet rope hanging out of your window. 
But Rahab showed that she had faith in God by hanging that rope from her window. She showed that she simply believed God and was willing to risk her life for him. Now, before I go on to the story, I want to I go back to this writer in Hebrews for just a moment, okay? And I, and I want to talk just for a moment about the writer addressing her as Rahab the prostitute. Because I want you also to know that James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, in his, in his uh, epistle... He, um, he refers to her as he's talking about faith without works is dead. He, he refers to her also as Rahab the prostitute. And we live in a very co- politically correct world. And so to me, I mean, it just, just seems a little odd, a little offensive because here's the deal at, at this moment. And we know Rahab is a changed woman. I mean, why didn't these writers just refer to her as Rahab, you know, Rahab the follower of God or, or now Saint Rahab or even the woman formerly known as the, Rahab the prostitute? Here's why. This is a beautiful picture of God's grace. Rahab's title and her story points to the grace of God. God God didn't care about what Rahab had done in her former life. All he cared about was what Rahab was doing with her new life. She exercised incredible courageous faith and God met her with his grace. I mean, think about this for a moment. Even in an immoral, carnal place like Jericho, Rahab's reputation probably wasn't going to change. People are unforgiving now, and they were unforgiving then. To, to the people of Jericho, it doesn't matter. Rahab is still a harlot. She was still seen as trash. She was still used goods. She was still the worst of the worst. She was still the girl that you just did not want to bring home to mama. But to God... She was a masterpiece. To God, she was a beautiful picture of what his saving, transforming, life-changing grace can do to a messed up sinful life. And I want you to know today that regardless of, of, where, of what you've done, regardless of your past, regardless of the story that, that you have left behind or you're still trying to leave behind, God offers you grace And not only can you be forgiven of your sins, but you can be made whole and your life can be given meaning and purpose as you live by faith. I mean, what a story of how God can take a messed up life and use it to put his grace on display. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, then you know the story of Jericho. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. But if you don't know the story, uh, you didn't grow up in church, let me just take a moment and just kind of tell it to you. The commander of the Lord's army, we get an, an Old Testament picture moment of Jesus Christ showing up and he appears to Joshua and he tells Joshua, he says, listen, you and your fighting men, when you get to Jericho, you're to march around the walls of Jericho once a day for six days in a row. Seven priests should march in front of you, uh, you and your army, each one carrying a ram's horn. Between you and the priest, I want you to put the Ark of the Covenant, which um, represents the presence of God. And on the seventh day, you are to march around the walls seven times with priest blowing horns. And when you hear the priest give one long blow on the horns, I want all of the people of Israel to shout as loud as they possibly can. And when they do, the walls will come crashing down and you will take the city. And that's exactly what happens. The walls of Jericho come crashing down and the Israelites captured the city of Jericho. But I want you to see verse 25 of chapter six of Joshua. But Rahab the prostitute 
and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now, I gotta tell you something else cool about her life, okay? If you go to the New Testament and you look in Matthew and you look in the book of Luke, two of the four gospel stories, you see the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And Matthew makes note of a woman, Rahab, who has a son named Boaz. Who has a son named Obed. Who has a son named Jesse. Who has a son named David. And if you follow King David's lineage, it will lead you to Joseph in the book of Matthew and it will lead you to Mary in the book of Luke, which both lead us to Jesus. If you're still struggling to believe that God can take a messed up, jacked up, wreck of a life full of dysfunction and use it for his glory to accomplish his will and his purposes and his plan here on this earth, then this should do it for you. A prostitute right smack in the middle of the ancestry of God's one and only son, Jesus, the one who came to save us, to forgive us of our sins. I mean, there's only one explanation for this kind of story. It's grace. It's grace. God put this story here so that he could put his grace on display for you and for me to see today. And Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, my grace, God says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What a beautiful display of of his power being made perfect in weakness. Out of his grace, God uses messy, imperfect, broken people who live by faith to accomplish his plans and purposes here on this earth. And there's not a person in this room here today that does not need a touch of God's grace. And some of you need God's grace at this very moment. Some Some of you need God's sustaining grace. You're dealing with grief. You've lost a a mom, a dad. You've lost a a brother, sister. You've lost a child. Oh my goodness. And you just, you're like, Lord, I just need the same grace that carried me through through that funeral. I just need it right now because I feel so lost. Maybe you're here today and you you feel like a complete failure because maybe you have a son or a daughter that's walked away from church, walked away from God. And you, as a parent, you feel like you failed. Maybe you're struggling because your children are struggling or maybe you just received a a, a diagnosis about a a health issue and and, and it just has just rocked you. And what you need right now is God's sustaining grace. You need grace to uphold you. You need grace to get you out of bed in the morning. You need grace to just get you moving, grace to just keep you moving forward. I wanna do something here for just a moment because I wanna have a time of prayer. If that's the grace you need, God's sustaining grace, would would you just stand so we can pray for you? Would you just stand all over this auditorium? Just stand up. You just need God's sustaining grace, something to get you through, something to hold you up, something to get you out of bed in the morning, something to keep you going. You're struggling. You need your family, your church family to pray for you. Would you just stay standing for just a moment? Thank you. Some of you here today, you need God's strengthening grace. 
You're struggling with fear. It's gripped your life. Some of you here today, you're struggling with depression. It's just like a black cloud over your head. Some of you are struggling with anxiety. Some of you are struggling with with guilt. Some of you are just stressed out. You don't know. You're just like, I'm just so weak. I don't know if I can make it. And you need God's strengthening grace. You need his strength right now. Would you stand up? Would you join these who are standing? Just stand up all over the room. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Thank you. And then there's others of you here today. What you need is God's saving grace. You need his saving grace. You need his grace to just remove the guilt of sin from your life. To take the the sentence of condemnation off of you so that you can be freed up not just not just not only saved from a destination but saved from yourself saved from your sin saved from saved from a life you just look forward and you go this is i don't see any purpose it's just hopeless it's helpless and you need God's saving grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Oh my goodness, what a, what a moment of God's grace meeting our faith. And you need God's saving grace. You need to know that when you die or if God were to come back today that you would be with him in eternity. But, but, but even more than that, you need to know that you've been forgiven here today. And if that's what you need in your life, would you just stand as well? Would you just stand up all over this auditorium? Amen, 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 amen. Would you just bow your head for just a moment, every one of you. Father, we need your grace today. We need your sustaining grace, Lord. There's families in here who are struggling with grief. It's like just this cloud over their lives, over their family, Lord. They've lost someone who's just, they love and and their life has been, there's been such a void since it's happened and they need your sustaining grace to move them forward. There's others in here, Lord, who have children who are struggling. They feel like a failure today. Would you just just pour your sustaining grace over them? Let them just feel it flood over their lives right now to know, Lord, that you're with them, that your promises are still true. Lord, there's others in here who just, who are struggling with health issues and they just need to know that you are with them. Lord, they don't know what a doctor is going to say in two days. They don't know what what the prognosis is going to be long-term, but you do, and they need your sustaining grace to uphold us, to lift us. And then, Father, there's those who are standing who need your strengthening grace. Fear, anxiety, depression, discouragement, guilt, shame. Just on and on, Lord. Just takes control of so many people's lives. And these folks who are standing, Father, are just, or Lord, they're just tired. They're worn out. They need your strengthening grace right now just to get them through, to keep them going, Lord. So many promises in your word about your grace, your strengthening grace. And would you just, would you strengthen every person who is standing right now with your strengthening grace? Help us to walk by faith, even when we can't see what's in front of us. And then, Father, for every person who has just stood needing your saving grace, thank you for offering it to us, Lord. Everyone, every person in this room, every person in this room is in need of saving grace. And Lord, so many have received it by faith already. But for those who are standing right now, would you pray with me? Just say this, Lord, I don't deserve this grace. Unmerited, unearned. But thank you for it. 
And by faith, I receive it into my life. I say yes to Jesus and his offer of forgiveness, his offer of grace. I thank you for doing for me what I could never do in my own strength. And I, at this moment, put all my faith and my trust in what Jesus has done for me and not in myself. And I receive your forgiveness. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for forgiveness. I receive it. I receive new life at this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all look at me for just a moment? For those of you who just prayed with me for saving grace, I want you to do me a favor. Get, get out your phone or get your get connected card and text follow to 77453 or just turn your card in at the help center in the atrium. 